book eleven chapters eighteen through twenty one of of the love of god by st francis de sales translated by h l sidney lear this librivox recording is in the public domain book eleven the supreme authority of love over all the soul's virtues actions and perfections chapter eighteen how love employs natural servile and mercenary fear the most irreligious of men are roused to fear god by natural terrors storm tempest or earthquake and at such times their unconscious impulse bids them raise their eyes and hands to god for help titus livius says that there is a universal impression among men that they who serve god are prospered they who despise him afflicted when jonah was storm-taken the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his god not knowing the truth says st jerome but recognizing god's hand in their peril and so the barbarous people among whom st paul was shipwrecked believed the viper which hung upon his hand to be the sign of divine vengeance acts chapter twenty eight verse four david speaks of the wind and storm as fulfilling god's word as ministers of his justice psalm one hundred forty eight verse eight and again he says cast forth thy lightning and tear them shoot out thine arrows and consume them psalm one hundred forty four verse six and earlier yet hannah said out of heaven shall he thunder upon them one samuel chapter two verse ten plato repeatedly testifies to this fear among the heathen not merely of god's temporal judgments but of his future and eternal judgment so deeply rooted in human nature is an instinctive fear of god such a mere instinct is neither worthy of praise nor blame being as it is all unwitting but its use is great inasmuch as it teaches us our dependence on god's omnipotence and our need to seek his aid the christian exposed to any storm or terror invokes that aid signs himself with the cross and makes acts of faith hope and trust st thomas aquinas being naturally afraid of thunder used to stay himself with the solemn words the word was made flesh david exclaims i will give thanks unto thee for marvellous are thy works psalm 139 verse 13 serve the lord in fear and rejoice unto him with reverence psalm two verse eleven again there is a fear coming of faith which warns us that after this life there are eternal terrors awaiting those who die unreconciled to god which reminds us of the particular judgment awaiting every soul at the hour of death and the final day of judgment for all men and such thoughts strike the heart at times with an overwhelming fear who indeed can dwell upon them without trembling but if they serve to banish the attractions of sin they are indeed blessed 
lord in trouble have they visited thee they poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them like as a woman is in pain and crieth out in her pangs so have we been in thy sight o lord isaiah chapter twenty six verses sixteen and seventeen there is no rest in my bones by reason of my sin psalm thirty eight verse three our lord himself the giver of love teaches this fear fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell matthew chapter ten verse twenty eight the ninevites repented in consequence of their fear and god spared them but if fear does not uproot the inclination to deliberate sin it is unavailing nay rather it is like that which devils feel and tremble or that of a galley slave he who only abstains from sin because he fears the inevitable judgment of god is guilty in his will and would gladly transgress were not hell on the other side another less odious but equally unprofitable fear is that of felix who hearing paul speak of god's judgment trembled yet forsook not his sins or belshazzar who when he saw god's handwriting of his condemnation on the wall changed countenance and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another yet did not repent daniel chapter five verse six it avails little to fear evil if that fear does not lead us to avoid it the mere slavish fear which obeys god out of fear of hell is good in itself but how far higher and better is even the mercenary fear of the christian i mean those who serve god less from love than in order to obtain their promised reward could i see or ear hear or could it enter into the heart of man to conceive the blessedness prepared of god for them that serve him one corinthians chapter two verse nine how greatly men would fear to break his commandments lest they lose their reward what tears of penitence would they weep yet even this fear were unblessed were it not combined with love and verily could we conceive a man deliberately choosing to serve god solely for an expected reward rejecting his love that man were nothing but a blasphemer but when a man fears to displease god not merely because he dreads hell or the loss of paradise but because his obedience and reverence are due to god his father then such is filial fear even as an affectionate child does not obey its parent merely from fear of being punished or disinherited but because he is a son and were his father ever so old helpless and poor his obedience would be no less dutiful but he would serve him the more tenderly joseph reverenced his father jacob all the more because circumstances had placed him in a superior position and when after jacob's death 
his other sons sought to obtain joseph's pardon they knew no more forcible plea than thy father did command before he died and joseph wept when they spake unto him genesis chapter fifty verses sixteen and seventeen sometimes indeed this filial fear may be found mixed with the slavish fear of eternal damnation or the mercenary fear of losing heaven without ceasing to be acceptable to god this is technically called initial fear being as it were the beginnings of a higher mental attitude a young rider holds on to his saddle or what not when his horse prances but the experienced horseman is indifferent to all aids depending on his good seat so the novice in god's service may make use of any kind of fear which will help him to overcome his foes and save him from a fall chapter nineteen divine love includes the fruits of the holy ghost and the beatitudes now the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance galatians chapter five verses twenty two and twenty three and we must here observe that st paul speaks of all those in the singular fruit not fruits love is the one sole fruit of the holy spirit but inasmuch as love has infinite properties the apostle divides it into sundry parts without preventing its unity we speak of the grape wine and all its varied forms as the fruit of the vine not meaning thereby that they are really different fruits but different forms of the one fruit in the same way st paul teaches that the fruit of the spirit is love which love is joyous peaceful long-suffering gentle good faithful meek temperate filling the soul with inward joy and peace making its possessor kind and good towards others ready to bear with their faults and imperfections modest and humble in loving temperate and continent in all manner of sensual pleasure filled inwardly with all these gracious fruits of love and stamped outwardly with their external and visible signs love is called the fruit of the holy spirit because it is to us as a very produce of the tree of life the spirit of god himself grafted upon our spirit and dwelling in us by his great mercy and when we are not merely content to rejoice in their possession but look forward to its fruition as the crown of our blessedness it becomes more than a very precious fruit it becomes a very beatitude securing not merely our happiness in this life but in the next filling us with so unalterable a content that the waves and storms of trouble and persecution cannot destroy it poverty enriches it humiliation exalts it tears gladden it 
deprivation strengthens it renunciation becomes sweet to it and all manner of trial is welcome inasmuch as its best life is to die for christ thus love is at once a virtue a gift a fruit and a beatitude as a virtue it forms us to obedience to god's inward inspirations through his commandments or counsels wherein love is the crown of virtue as a gift love makes us plastic and susceptible to those inward inspirations which are god's hidden counsels to which the sevenfold gifts point as a fruit it imparts an exceeding delight in the exercise of the devout life as a beatitude it teaches men to take positive delight in the calumny injury and contempt which the world lavishes upon christ's servants as also to forsake and renounce all glory save that of the cross through which we learn to glory in our own abjection and abnegation seeking no royal insignia save the crown of thorns the reed sceptre the mantle of shame and the throne of the cross whereupon he who is a true lover finds greater happiness and glory than solomon upon his ivory throne chapter twenty love disposes of all the passions and emotions subjecting them to itself love is the heart's life just as a clock depends upon the movements of the pendulum so love imparts all life to the soul all our affections are regulated by our love and according to that we desire enjoy hope or fear hate shun grieve or triumph we see a man who has given himself up to some unworthy earthly love altogether lost in it hoping and fearing seeking and desiring nothing else and so again with those who have yielded to a passionate love of wealth or honour they become the slaves of the thing they love and have neither thought nor heart for aught besides so when the love of god reigns in our heart it right royally subjects all other affections of the will it subdues sensual love and reducing it to obedience the sensual passions follow in a word this holy love is that living water of which our lord said he that drinketh thereof shall never thirst verily he who does but heartily love god will know no longing or fear or hope or rest save in god and his every emotion will tend godward the love of god and of self are both within us like jacob and esau in rebecca's womb they are sorely repugnant one to the other and struggle together so that we are fain to cry out o wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death and god's love alone reign in me romans chapter seven verse twenty four but we must be of good cheer and hope in his word who gives his promise with his precept 
saying to the soul as he said to rebecca two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels and the one people shall be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger genesis chapter twenty five verse twenty three they were but two babes which were thus described as peoples but from them nations were destined to spring and from these two affections which occupy man's heart god and self a whole world of emotions and passions will arise causing sore travail within the soul like to rebecca's material travail and even as it was foretold her that of her two unborn babes the elder should serve the younger so it is appointed of god that our sensual love should serve that which is spiritual that is that self-love should serve the love of god this prophecy concerning rebecca's offspring was not fulfilled until david had conquered the idumeans and solomon reigned over them in peace and when will our earthly love be subject to divine love not until that love becomes so strong that it is able to subdue every passion by mortification or more truly still when we attain to heaven where that most blessed love will wholly possess our souls we have a type of the way in which god's love must subdue self-love in jacob who while esau was coming to the birth seized him by the foot as though to hinder him so divine love seeing some merely natural or sensual affection coming to the light seizes it by the foot and subjects it to the service of god when moses laid hold of the egyptian magician's rod it turned to a miraculous wand and so even our passions may be turned to a good end by the love of god how can this transformation be effected certain physicians maintain the theory that diseases are cured by their contrary effects while others say precisely the reverse that like is cured by like whichever is right we know that the star's light is obscured both by the night mist and by the brightness of the sun and wherefore should we not resist our earthly passions alike by means of what is contrary and by affections like to themselves a false trust in man may be counteracted by the thought that the great ones of the earth are as subject to mortality as oneself that they are as weak unstable and frail as we are the affection on which we rest so confidently to-day may be diverted to another to-morrow then is the time to defy such false hopes taking shelter in one that is truer it is he that shall pluck my feet out of the net psalm twenty five verse fourteen did ever any trust in the lord and was confounded or did any abide in his fear and was forsaken ecclesiasticus chapter two verse ten 
in the same way we may fight against the longing after temporal ease or wealth either by dwelling upon the contempt they merit or by the superior attractions of things immortal thus extinguishing earthly love by divine love as flames are extinguished by water or by fire from heaven overpowering them our lord made use of both manners of cure he taught his disciples to despise earthly fear by teaching them a higher fear fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell matthew chapter ten verse twenty eight and again he taught them not to rest in a low form of joy saying rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven luke chapter ten verse twenty and again woe unto you that laugh now for ye shall mourn and weep luke chapter six verse twenty five thus god's love supplants and subdues earthly affections and passions diverting them from the end self had in view and turning them to spiritual ends even as the rainbow resting upon the herb aspilathus takes away its natural scent and imparts one far sweeter so divine love resting upon earthly passions takes away their earthliness and spiritualizes them the most earthly actions may be spiritualized by being performed in the spirit of love we may eat offering the act to god as sustaining the body he has given us to do his service we may rejoice in friendship because god has given our friends to be our stay and solace our fears may be offered to him remembering that he gathereth his children as a hen her young ones under her wings and then who shall make us afraid we shall do what we can to avoid the danger we fear saying i am thine O oh, save me then come what may it will be well thrice blessed alchemy by which we reduce every passion affection and desire to the pure gold of heavenly love chapter twenty one sadness is for the most part unprofitable and even opposed to divine love we cannot graft an oak upon a pear tree so essentially different the two are neither can anger or despair be grafted into charity we have already discussed anger and as to despair save by reducing it to a due mistrust of self or a consciousness of the vanity and emptiness of all worldly hopes and promises i know not what it can possibly do on behalf of holy love or how can sadness have any part in divine love when joy is so prominently placed as one of the gifts of the spirit st paul speaks of a godly sorrow which worketh repentance to salvation but the sorrow of the world worketh death 
2 corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 so there is a godly sorrow which is felt by repentant sinners or by good men for the misfortunes of others or by saints for the spiritual loss of souls thus david peter and magdalene wept over their sins hagar wept to see her son perishing of thirst jeremiah wept over jerusalem our lord over the faithless city and saint paul wept over the enemies of the cross of christ philippians chapter three verse eighteen the sorrow or sadness of this world springs from three sources number one from the great enemy of souls who confuses the understanding enfeebles the will and dismays the soul by a host of woeful dreary suggestions and just as a thick mist impedes the traveller's breath and hinders his progress so these dismal thoughts clouding the mind hinder it from rising upwards and cause discouragement and depression there is a certain fish called the sea-devil which seizes its prey by means of stirring up the mud so as to conceal itself until it springs upon the fish near it whence probably the common phrase to fish in troubled waters this is precisely what satan does he troubles and clouds the soul by a swarm of vexing thoughts and then seizes his prey overwhelming it with mistrust envy dislikes jealousy memories of past sin and the like and prompting it to reject all reasonable consolations number two again sadness sometimes arises from natural temperament and this is not necessarily wrong in itself yet the enemy uses it largely to tempt and harm the soul the spider only weaves its web when the sky is dark and cloudy and the evil one is never so prone to spread his toils around bright cheerful minds as around those who are gloomy and depressed for they are much more easily influenced by vexations suspicions hatred murmurs envy and spiritual sloth number three there is a sadness inevitable to the vicissitudes of life what joy can be mine who sit in darkness and see not the light of heaven tobias asked of the angel thus jacob sorrowed over the tidings of joseph's death david over his son absalom such sorrow is common to good and bad men alike but in the good it is relieved by resignation to god's will for example tobias who gave thanks through all Job blessing the lord's name david singing praises but worldly men are overpowered by such sorrow and break forth into murmuring and despair such men are peevish bitter and downcast in sorrow and generally headstrong and insolent in prosperity the sorrow of true penitence is less sadness than regret for an abhorrence of evil it is never fretful or harassing 
it rather quickens than paralyzes the mind rather stimulates the heart to more earnest prayer and devotion and to fresh hope than depresses it such sorrow always appreciates a fund of infinite consolation when at its keenest as saint augustine says that while the penitent sorrows he rejoices in his sadness and cassian says that the sorrow which works true penitence never to be repented of is obedient gentle humble cheerful patient as beseems the outcome of love and even when bodily suffering is added to moral grief such a man is hopeful and vigorous having possession of the fruits of the holy spirit which saint paul tells us of this true penitence and holy sorrow is very far from dreariness and melancholy but is watchful in its abhorrence and rejection of past sin as of what might arise in the future we sometimes see men who are anxious restless fretful and impatient in their repentance which is sure to be unprofitable in consequence such emotions arising from self-love not from the true mainsprings of a sincere penitence the sorrow of the world worketh death and we are bound to avoid it with all our might if it comes of our natural temperament we must resist and counteract it by every means in our power even having recourse to medical advice in the matter if it comes as a temptation the best thing is freely to open our grief to our spiritual guide who will help to overcome it if it be accidental we must recall how profitable tribulation is to god's children and dwell upon the greatness of our eternal hopes while suffering under the passing troubles of this life in all alike it behooves us to use our highest powers of will to seek god's love there may be certain things which depend so entirely upon constitution and temperament that we cannot control them externals the countenance voice and manner may be beyond a man's own control but even if he cannot assume a gracious manner every one can speak kind and gracious words and constrain himself to act with courtesy and gentleness a man may be pardoned for not being always cheerful we are not always capable of cheerfulness at will but there is no excuse for not always being kindly obliging and courteous for that is within a man's own control and only requires a firm resolution to overcome his temper or inclination to be otherwise end of book 11 chapter 21